Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm here with a special show today. We're off originally today because it's opening day of Major League Baseball 2023 season, and we're all excited about that. I hope your schedules are in order. Uh, special spotlight today that we're going to try every now and then to highlight a either a young athlete or a collegiate athlete, a professional athlete, just to give them a platform right now to speak and to show what kind of audience that we have here. We're grassroots all the way to Major League front offices. Before we start, I just want to thank our audience, 14,700 subscribers to date. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe to our show. We really appreciate it. It allows us to continue to give great content throughout the week to you. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'll answer a question every day on Facebook. We had 400 questions today plus with opening day looming. Uh, so I got back to our one audience member on air today. And as you heard the pre-show music, that was from Kung Fu Panda. So it gives a little tease as to what the question was about, and how I answered it on the podcast or on the Facebook today. And our guest today will kind of lead into that a little bit because I got into our homeschooling and our principles with coaching. And so he'll give a little insight into that, I hope. Uh, but also remember to stream us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, and we will continue to bring you this awesome content with our guests and our phenomenal hosts every week. So with that, I want to introduce today, we have a 13-year-old, Tanner D'Agostino, my son. You've heard me talk about him on the show before. Uh, he seems to be attached at my hip on most days, uh, pretty much all day. And full disclosure, it's, you know, we're, we're almost, uh, we're at 11 o'clock uh, AM East Coast time. So all you truant officers out there, he homeschools. So he's not skipping school to be on the podcast. I'm not that kind of parent. So um, Tanner gets up early, gets his stuff done, and I'll have we'll go through his checklist on the air. So if he's if he's violated some of those, we'll make sure we get on him after that. But with that, Tanner, I want to welcome you to the show. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'm excited for opening day, and I'm excited to be on the show. We're glad to have you here. So we'll we'll, we'll throw a couple softballs at you because I, I know what it's like asking you questions, it's like deposing a witness sometimes. If I don't ask the right question, I just get a yes, no. So with opening day today, obviously, you know, you got up early. I know you got your homeschool done uh, for the most part uh, from the looks of your brothers and sisters. They're waiting on you to do your dribbling out there once we're done with our, our podcast. But to, after your stuff's over, what are you looking to watch today? What games are you going to be watching today for opening day? I'll probably be watching Yankees-Giants. I'm excited to see how Logan Webb handles being the ace of that Giants rotation. And then Astros-White Sox. Yeah, but who, who do you have? Who's pitching for the Astros and White Sox? I haven't looked at the... I'm pretty look. sure Dylan Cease is pitching for the White Sox and Framer Valdez is pitching for the Astros. Well, based on your wardrobe, what you wear every day, and, and what we're forced to buy for you for birthdays and holidays... I've got a pretty idea, good idea who your favorite team is. What are you looking – tell the audience who your favorite team is, maybe who your favorite current baseball player is, and, and what are you looking – You know, what are you hoping for with them today with opening day? Well, my favorite team's the Yankees. Uh, my favorite player is Aaron Judge. And I'm looking to see how Anthony Volpe plays in the majors in his first game. And Cabrera's sophomore season, he had a bite-sized chunk at the end of last year and seeing if he can come back. At just as good as he was in his sophomore season. Yeah. No, I know you were campaigning hard for Volpe. Uh, it's, it's a shame that they couldn't have Volpe and Peraza together up there. I know we were both hoping for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So with Volpe today, they've got him batting ninth in the lineup. Do you like that to get his feet wet, or do you want him to see him throw him to the Wolves and lead him off? Well, he hit well in spring training. I wouldn't maybe, maybe not lead off, but maybe higher than nine, maybe somewhere in the middle of the lineup so he can get some 
RBIs, some CNOE hits. Although bottom of the lineup is good, so he doesn't see as many breaking pitches, more fastballs. Yeah, give him his confidence a little bit um, without question. Now, on the show a lot, you and I know we, we've got our schedule today. We're, we're both getting done with things early so we can sit and watch baseball uh, most of the day. And I, I think your your siblings will join us, as as will your mom. So it'll be a nice nice afternoon of lazy baseball today. But we talk a lot on the show about the importance of multiple sport athletes. And we also share a lot about our homeschool here. So um, in terms of the sports part, you know, you, you play multiple sports. Share with the audience a little bit about the sports you play, the positions you play. And uh, then we'll get into a little bit how you work at it. Well, I play basketball and baseball. I'm also a, a guard in basketball and I'm a catcher in baseball. I, I play middle infield in baseball as well. Um, do, do you like playing multiple sports? I yeah yeah I like playing basketball and I like playing baseball. Now with with baseball, let's get into baseball a little bit since that's opening day today. Um, you mentioned your favorite team. Who's your favorite player? Uh, I like Aaron Judge. I think he handles himself well off the field and on the field. And if he's healthy, he should have just as good as a season. But maybe not as last year, but maybe the twenty seventeen twenty seventeen season he had. Yeah. It's a great role model to have. I think Aaron Judge is a, is a classic uh, Yankee, a guy that people look to to lead. Um, he's, he had a great year last year, as we all know, historic year, and uh, seems to be a class guy in a city that's really has under a microscope. And, and he's done great by the Yankees, and hopefully he's there you know, long term, as, as they hope as well. Now, as far as basketball, we're shifting back and forth a little bit. Who's your favorite basketball team? Who's your favorite basketball player? Well, I like the Celtics, but kind of... Not like a lot of Celtics fans. I like Kyrie Irving as my favorite player. So that, that's kind of odd. Now, Kyrie was a Celtic for a short period of time. Um, unlike traditional times when I followed sports, I was a Celtic fan too, but Larry Bird was with us the whole time. Um, what, what makes Kyrie, who's a controversial figure in basketball, um, I like him too. I think he's got a tremendous game, and I think he's, uh, he speaks his mind. Uh, off the court, and I like that about him. What 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 do you what makes Kyrie your favorite player? Well, I like the way he handles the ball and how he knows the situation. He's very uh, he's very good with his handles and his finishing, and he does a lot of creative stuff with finishing. But it's never useless. It's never just for the sake of doing it. It's usually for a purpose, and he has to do it to make the layup. So Aaron Judge, six foot seven plus, two hundred and eighty pounds. Uh, Kyrie Irving, six foot two on a good day, probably six one, uh, maybe a, a buck ninety. Two very different kinds of athletes, but two very similar. You know, th- those are guys that are, I think, reinventing their positions, kind of. So, in terms of that, uh, I have a, I have the luxury of coaching and training you on some occasions. Uh, I want to congratulate you first on the air too. I should have done that early on. Uh, for being named to the Tops All-American game. You'll get a chance to showcase your skills later on in the spring uh, with an older age group, which is nice. Being you know 13 years old, you'll be in the 16 and under bracket. Uh, you'll be there as a catcher and a second baseman. So congratulations to you on making that officially yesterday. Thank you. I'm really excited to play in that Tops All-American game, and I'm really honored to play in it. I feel like a lot of good players play in that, and I'm excited to play in it. Yeah, you'll certainly test your skills. and. Um, now I want to get to get to our homeschool a little bit, kind of share with our audience what a typical day with Tanner's like. And, uh, you know, with that, with saying that, you're going to be playing against kids that are two years older than you, in some cases three. And you do the same thing in basketball. And we, we try to we try to stretch you a little bit. Um, your 
your weaknesses are going to be exposed. Are you are you afraid of that? I'm not afraid of that no because when my weaknesses get exposed, I can work on them and they no and they become strengths and no longer weaknesses. And then hopefully I can continue my strengths to continue be strength strengths. And I'm not afraid of exposing my weaknesses no. No, I think that's good. And that's a premise of our homeschool. I want to kind of lead into, you know, homeschool. We have a lot of audience members uh, parents that are trying to become the first educators of their kids in sports, uh, which I find funny sometimes because parents have no problem taking on coaching a sport that they have little to no experience in, but they won't take on the process of educating their child um, as the primary educator. For some reasons, the way we've been built as a society, the way we've, we've grown. Um, of course, you know, we've done that for pretty much your whole lifetime here. Your older brother, Blue, started, um, you know, and a little bit of background on, on, on David, we call him Blue. Um, th- after second grade, they ran out of the, the science curriculum that he was he had earned a right to be in, and the school suggested that we start whatever we were doing at home, we continue to do it full-time, and it really scared us as parents. So um, fortunately, uh, Blue's extremely motivated and uh, dove into it, and that gave us the confidence to do it with our other three children. And Blue, full disclosures, in his 29th course as a non-matriculated student at MIT, he's kind of pushing the envelope there. So he's a 15-year-old taking courses at the college level uh, in sciences at MIT, and he'll do his first archaeological dig this fall as part of a program, um, and it'll be, I believe, in South Dakota. So we've got to get him out there to South Dakota to do that dig. So very excited for him. But Tanner, Blue kind of paved the way with the homeschool, and you've taken it your own way. Um, We don't compartmentalize you guys. You have your own desires of what you want to become in the world, and then we build an ecosystem around it. So kind of start from the beginning. What is it that you, you want to be when you, when you grow up? Well, I would like to play professionally in both sports that I mentioned before, basketball and baseball. And I would like to be as good as I can be in both sports, and hopefully I can play professionally in that. Yeah. So in, in saying that, we've, we've helped you build your own curriculum around achieving that goal. Uh, we, we ask you that we call it, you know, what's your audacious goal? We don't do slogans. We don't put it up on the walls. We're not, uh, you know, hokey with it. You've got what you want to be. Let's figure out how to get it done. So some of the things besides, let's not talk about the sports right now. What are some of the other things that you, uh, you're learning around sports to help you potentially, you know, as we say, failure is not going to be an option. You're going to reach your goal. We're going to do everything that, you know, in, in our power to put you in a position to do so. And you've got to put the work in. So as far as things like um, our principles, what, what, what are the principles that we expect you to kind of be? Um, I, well, you've got to be a self-teacher. You have to learn things your own way. Not everything's going to be spoon-fed to you when you get older. So you have to learn some things and be a high-agency high First principle. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to explain that to the audience or do you want to get into that a little bit? Um, you want me to do it? Uh, you can okay. do it, yeah. So, I mean, real simple, self-teacher, self-explanatory, right? So high agency, you, you got to figure stuff out, right? You, we don't solve your problems for you. Do you remember when you started Russian math? Yeah, that was, yeah. So give the audience, like some problems would take you, you know, real, you'd be real quick. And the other problem, what's the longest problem that it took you to figure out? Probably 10 days. There was one that was really tough. And, um, and did I come to your rescue? 
Right. No, I had to figure that one out myself. Yeah. It was pretty fun when I did, but not fun for the whole 10 days I didn't. Yeah, and we don't do weekends with homeschool, so they 10 days is 10 days. They, they go through it. So so high agency, you figure stuff out. First principle is where you have your own original thoughts. So you're not on social media, correct? Correct. As far as I know, you don't have any fake handle for no them? Okay. No Facebook, media. no Instagram, no Twitter? No. Okay, no, no. you don't do TikTok dances? No. Okay, with your sisters, none of that stuff? Okay, no. perfect. That's fantastic. So you have less input in your world um, as far as having to deal with. So first principle is, I wrote the article, you and I shared that this morning on Facebook. I shared a little bit of it with you. Um, first principle being, you know, the, fa the fact that you have your own original thoughts for the most part. Yeah, I tend to focus on my opinions and not trying to steal opinions from other people. I take pride in having my own original opinions because if I, t it, I like, uh, I don't want to be a, uh, what's the, a drone for the most part. Yeah. You don't have to ask permission for things. You don't want to be a drone. You don't want to be, um, you know, locked into some subscription and then just follow orders. And, and as a parent, that's challenging. And as I coach him as well. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. You got a kid that's going to figure stuff out, let him figure it out. You have a kid that's been taught to have his own original thoughts. You can't penalize him and get offended by that. Although Tanner pushes the envelope on that quite a bit when it comes to sports. Having a, I, I don't think I've ever been told I was wrong more by a player in my 25 years of coaching as I have with Tanner. Now, fortunately, he does it in private and um, respectfully, but uh, certainly he's, he's challenged me and made me a better coach. And I'll, and I'll say that because I've got to be on, on my toes with him because he's he's been He's been trained, and I use that affectionately to think, and I and it's it's rare nowadays. So, um, talking a little bit about some of the other stuff you do um, with with your homeschool. What, what about your, your you're into languages, right? You have an interest in languages. What language are you studying right now? At the moment, I'm doing Russian with uh, working on Russian with the languages. I have done Spanish in the past, but right now I'm working on Russian. And then, as let's say, as a future catcher in Major League Baseball, or as a future point guard in the NBA, how, how's the landscape of those sports learning languages? How's that going to help you out? Well, with catching a lot of pitchers coming from Japan right now, you have the new pitcher, Cody Senga, obviously Shohei Otani. Some of those pitchers won't be able to speak English. You have to talk to them and sometimes they'll need a translator, but it's better if you can speak to them yourself without a translator. And then as a point guard, it's most of the same thing. You got to talk to them. You have to be able to talk to them and say what you want to say. Because a lot of European players nowadays, right? So yeah. With Spain, Europe. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a lot of international talent in the NBA and Major League Baseball. So I think a language is, if I'm, I don't want to paraphrase for you, but you're, you feel like it'll be, I, I guess it could be strategic too, because the other team won't know what you're saying. Yeah. But also maybe uh, things won't get lost in translation a little bit. You go out and talk to your pitcher and he'll feel more comfortable and you know you you'll get your point as long as you don't mix up verbs and nouns in japanese if you're out there talking to your japanese pitcher so now i like that now with language also some comes culture so you're learning these cultures alongside of the language so you can learn how these guys eat and live and maybe help them be a little bit more comfortable with their transition as well yeah i you want to make the other players on the team feel as comfortable as possible because if they feel comfortable, they're obviously going to play better and they're going to, you're going to have more chemistry with them either on the court or on the field. So, and then, so also, you know, we go from, from languages and 
you're going to keep learning languages. You learn, you, you've got Spanish down pat, you're learning Russian now. Any thought on what your next one's going to be once you master Russian? Um, well, maybe Japanese, since there's a lot, maybe uh, some something with the European countries. Maybe a little Italian so you can talk to your grandmother. Yeah. All right. Um, so we think that's important too. I have a language background and, and, you know, it's nice because Tanner and I can talk those languages. Sometimes we can read in them, we can write in them. It gives them extra practice. So, um, as far as, uh, you know, you're, you're into baseball and you and, and basketball and you and I will sit and do scouting together, but you're also into analytics. You understand that's a part of the game nowadays. So is there anything special that you're working on with analytics? Let's say from basketball right now, what are you doing with basketball? And all this is geared toward you becoming a professional player someday, correct? Yes, this is all geared towards that one goal, yeah. Okay, so as far as basketball analytics, what are you looking at right now as far as your homeschool project? Well, I'm working on a thing where that a statistic that tells a story about valuing the basketball because turnovers is kind of a one stat to tell a whole story. It's kind of a whole – it's like a broad statistic. So we're working on a formula to – value the ball more than turnovers and more than assists could. Yeah. So a guy like um, John Stockton, Magic Johnson, two of the greatest point guards of all time at points at, well, Stockton's still the leader, I believe in assists, but the leader in assists in most cases is the leader in turnovers. And we all know what kind of passer John Stockton was. So I think that's great. It's, and you hit on a good point with analytics and that's what I try to impress upon you. Um, analytics is not a number. It's a story. And to say that John Stockton was a bad ball handler because he let, he's, leads the NBA in career turnovers uh, is not an accurate story, correct? Correct, that yeah. is. So is, is there anything special in baseball right now? I know, so you're a different kind of, uh, you know, little throwback. Um, and, I, and I didn't ask you who your favorite all-time players are, and that'll probably lend itself to the answers to these analytics too. But um, share that first and then get into the base, the, the baseball portion of it. Cause as a baseball player, I know you're a catcher, you play middle infield, you're a switch hitter, switch batter, bat, the natural righty, but, but bat righty and lefty. And then as a basketball player, natural right-handed shooter, but you're very adept at being able to, to, to finish inside that 15 foot area with either hand. So, um, using either hand is important. I think as far as both sports from a physical standpoint, but it also, we use it to help affect you mentally because it affects both sides of your brain. So, it, as for for baseball now, what what is what analytic story are you trying to tell right now that maybe will lend itself to appreciating your game more? Well, maybe the the value of uh, batting averages and bunt, batting average is kind of also a broad stat because of you know you hit the ball hard, it's an out. Maybe someone that hits the ball soft is a hit. So you know, bunting is a is is a hit. You want to value that and uh, maybe bunting and stolen bases and total bases maybe. Well, I took a look at your, your notes today because I was checking on your, your schoolwork just to make sure everything was going good. So that's going against the, the grain right now because, um, you know, popular opinion with analytics says bunting is not good. You don't want to give up the out and stolen bases, even though they have the pizza size bases right now. That stolen bases are are not a, a great thing. They're devalued, let's just say, in both of those. Same thing with striking out is is uh, is not seen as a negative. Uh, how do you see striking out? What is is that a part? Is that a part of your world? Uh, no, I don't think. I think 
the two worst ways to get out is being picked off at first base and striking out. Yeah. So that, that kind of, so the, the, the stories that you're trying to tell with analytics and correct me if I'm wrong, I know you're very good at that. Um, you're, you're working on a formula to tell stories to value base running, to value bunting yeah. and to wake up people about how detrimental strikeouts are to things like batting average. Yeah. Did I get that right? Yes. You and you, you would tell me if I was wrong because you're really good at that. That's your other formula. You're really good at telling me when I'm wrong. So appreciate you not doing that on the air, my friend. I hate to punish you in the middle of the day, especially on opening day. So with, with these formulas, how does that translate to your game? What kind of hitter are you? Well, um, trying to be a gap to gap hitter. Um, I think the gaps are obviously no one's there. It's easier to hit there and you hit for power there. Um, I think over the fence is kind of a trying to hit the ball over the fence, but if you try to hit the ball gap to gap, that you'll get doubles and triples and and up the middle, no one's there obviously as we now. So are you a ground ball hitter or a fly ball hitter? Uh, more of a ground ball hitter because fly balls are easy to be caught. Ground balls, you have to make a play on it. You have to throw the ball to first base. It's easier to catch a fly ball than field the ground ball and throw it to first. And first baseman has to catch it. Just more, and also I get a chance to beat the beat the ball out if so it's you, not a good hit. So you feel like you got speed too. Yes. So what? So when you kind of shifting off the baseball here, and I, I uh, well, I'll ask you this before we go to the speed part with um with the shift that they were doing in Major League Baseball, and they're still manipulating it to some degree. What would you have done? What would you do to a shift? Uh, you would either bunt it to the third base side, if you're, if you're batting left-handed or if you're batting right-handed, but on the first base side, or just hit it the other way. Yeah, sounds simple, right? Yeah. Kind of is. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a good – I've noticed that in your game where you're, you're moving the ball around a lot better now that you're, you're, you know, you're seeing faster pitching, you're seeing breaking pitches right now. What kind of bunting are you working on right now? Which, what's your main focus? I know you work on bunting for about 30 minutes a day. Yeah. 30 minutes a day every day. So. Um, What's what particular bunt is your focus right now? Well, right now it's drag bunting. You're trying to bunt for a base hit and left-handed, right-handed, left-handed. Okay, so left-handed drag bunt. Which uh, and I know we're not a video show here; it's audio. But can you describe to the audience what your what your first move is when you're looking to drag bunt? Well, first you want to step. Some people step towards the pitcher. Maybe you kind of want to step at an angle towards the base. Which with which foot? With your back foot, you want to okay. step it forward. So you're batting left-handed. You got your left foot, your back foot. Your your first movement is going to be in the direction you're, you're almost running at the pitcher, but you're angling toward yeah where you're running to towards first base. Yeah, because if you angle it like you go too far at the pitcher, you have to stop and then you have to change direction, and that takes an extra second. And the difference between Trey Turner and somebody that's really slow is a second. So not even a second, less than a tenth. So, and then how, how uh, wh- where are you trying to place the baseball when you drag bunt? So drag bunt, you're, you're bringing it with you to first base for the most part. How far down the line are you looking to, to bring that baseball with you? Uh, uh, maybe 60 feet. Uh, then forces the first baseman to come off. And all I have to do is beat the pitcher there. And then I like beating the pitcher there because the pitchers don't usually have to run a lot. Yeah. So that's about two-thirds the way down the the bag to the to the bag would be, be in 90 feet and so you're dragging it close to the line as possible yeah so lefty batter you're facing a righty pitcher um 
it looks like based on that distance, you'd have two guys converging and possibly a second baseman coming over. To, what's your mindset when you put the ball down the bat? Are you racing the baseball? Uh, yeah, you have to beat the baseball to the bat because if you lose to the baseball, the first baseman's going to get that and you're going to be out by a couple feet. So you, have, you try to race the baseball. So what's what do you use a target when you practice? Like, is there something that you're trying to put the baseball on every de- every time? Uh, yes, I use a uh, kind of like a towel, uh, oh. like a I don't know how long it is, but it's, washcloth about four inch by four. Yeah, say. four four inch by four inch washcloth. So you don't use that on your face afterwards, do you? I do not. Okay, know. I'd have to tell your mother if that were the case. So a four by four washcloth, you're trying to place that ball perfectly on there. Now sixty feet is nice, but do you move that around to try to just be creative and get different? Put the ball in different spots. Yeah, sometimes I do, yeah. Because if you do, uh, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, it helps you not become a drone like you mentioned earlier on uh, with that stuff. So so switch hitting, catcher, you're saying you got speed. Maybe you'll have to race later on, see, see if you're faster than me. Um, kind of jumping back to, well, we'll stay with baseball right now. You, you, get, you get work behind the dish. Um, what are you working on as far as footwork goes? You do footwork every day? I do, do yeah. Mobility I- footwork? To talk about that a little bit. So I use uh, so uh, snap throws to second, uh, first base, uh, pop throws to second, and then pop throws to third. Sometimes on your knees. Sometimes when the ball closes you off down, you go on your knees, or if the ball closes you out towards your glove side or away from your glove. So yeah, I work. I work on all those. So you're working on you're working on uh, your mechanics for receiving. But with the mindset of releasing. So yeah. you're working on, so you said like stuff to first base, obviously based on there being a running there, but you're, you've got different footwork based on location of the pitch is what you're saying. So low yeah. pitches, you're doing some stuff on your knees, whether it closes you off. Do you, and your footwork is different for all of those. Am I correct in saying that? You are, because if you only have one footwork, you have a footwork for the ball right down the middle. Never will the ball ever be pitched down the middle or else the hitter's going to hit it or... If it is, if the hitter's forced to stay, if the pitcher doesn't hit that exact spot, the base runner is a stolen base. And they're going to steal the base like 90% of the time. So so you're, you're spending a good a good amount of time on your footwork. You Also, I see with the, the little cork balls right there, you, you're receiving with cork balls. Um, you know, I saw your sister out there with you the other day. What are you doing with that stuff uh, as far as I see you're throwing little – and the cork balls are like almost golf ball size versions of baseballs and I see her throwing that at you with no glove on um and, and you catching with fingers what, what are you doing there um for, for focusing on receiving I have to receive the ball uh you have to keep a strike a strike and then you have to make sure the, sh- the ball maybe half an inch or an inch off the plate is a strike because you want to get as many of those as possible and then you have to also catch the ball where it's pitched yeah, so I think it's a good good message to young catchers out there. Catch, don't turn strikes into balls. And, you know, you get into framing a little bit. I get on you sometimes with you trying to overframe. But you ever seem to have a good relationship with the umpires. How important is that to you when you're catching the, the cadence with the umpires? And, and from a, a standpoint behind the plate, what do they like most about your catching back there? Well, I think they like my blocking. I don't think umpires like to be hit too much. Um I don't think they like the to be way. hit at all. Yeah. <laughs> so the way I, the blocking part of it, the way I block, the way I keep the ball in front of me or in front of right in front of the plate, 
You never want to keep the ball way outside because then the runner will steal a base or a couple feet to your right because then the runners will steal a base. You want to keep that ball right in front of you so to where the runner has to stay still. Yeah. No, I think it's a great, great idea. We, we've taken a lot of pride um, in that, I think, in working and stems back from your very first game as a catcher. I think you were like six years old, maybe playing in the eight-year-old league where it was kid pitch. And I told you that year, I said, you're not going to catch for a couple of years. I don't want you behind there. You're going to learn the game. And that lasted all of a half inning. And you went down there, you did a nice job, some pass balls, but that was your first time. And then it made you appreciate, right? I think you were getting on Gary Sanchez when he was a Yankee catcher about how many pass balls he has. Yeah. And um, it kind of gave you a paradigm shift where you, you, you worked on it, but it just, you decided I'm not going to just, I'm not going to have pass balls in my game. Yeah, because I think I had more pass balls that game than Gary Sanchez had all season. Yeah, he had you, like eight. Yeah, you did, and we—I certainly made note of that to you. But um, to your credit, you made you uh, made that a major part of your game, and I—I I could count on one hand the number of pass balls you had probably in the last five years, from eight years old to thirteen. And you know, at that age, young young kids are learning how to pitch. Does that you think that gives confidence to your pitchers when you do that as well? In, in addition to preserving umpires. Uh, yeah, I think it does because if the pitcher makes a bad pitch, it's most of some of the time it's gonna automatically be another base for the runner. But if you can, you know, give confidence to your pitcher that not every bad pitch is gonna be a extra base for the runner, then he's gonna be more confident in throwing the stuff he throws, and he you don't want him walking on eggshells on the mound. Yeah. You want him to be confident and loose and throwing the ball the way he wants to throw the ball. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. And I've even seen you put your glove down, kind of giving the symbol to bury one with a runner on third base before. That's a lot of coyotes, buddy, to have a runner on third and tell somebody to bury a pitch like that. Um, what makes you think you're, you're that skilled to do that? Well, I feel like I can, wherever the ball's pitched, I can stop it from going behind the backstop because you can work on it all you want, and I do, obviously. But if you don't if most of it's uh having the willpower to stay in front of the ball and it's almost like feeling it like uh being like a shortstop but like with less time to but using your body instead of your glove most of the time so one of the major improvements that you've made in the last let's say six months is your throwing arm Uh, what are some things that you're doing uh differently now i obviously you're growing you're getting stronger so that happens naturally but what are some of your staples with improving your throwing arm well, long toss helps um, building that shoulder strength, and then throwing the football as well. It it's obviously heavier than a baseball, and also it doesn't hurt your arm like a base baseball players would. Because I don't see Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes getting shoulder surgery that much, but a lot of pitchers do, and. That can't really be a coincidence. Yeah, pit, catchers throw the same amount of balls that pitchers do in a game. Maybe not with the same velocity, but so with the combination of your footwork that you're doing and your blocking and your receiving, um, and now your throwing arm. Um, you know, what what are we going to be working on next this year as far as your catching improvement? Um, calling games is most of them. You have to know what the hitter's weakness is and how to exploit that with either a fastball or a breaking pitch. Or a, Normally, you don't want to throw too many breaking pitches. You don't want to get too cute with it, especially if the hitter is obviously early on the fast, uh, late on the late on the fastball. You don't want to 
speed his bad head up. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So when you're – obviously you don't have the luxury of scouting reports when you're playing you know, youth or travel baseball. So when you're behind the plate, um, I, I, I guess two questions for you. What do you do when a pitcher shakes you off, number one? And number two, when you're watching the batter to see what you're going to do next, I know you mentioned the speed of the bat. I think that's a great point. Um, you know, if he's late on a fastball, you don't want to speed his bat up with a breaking ball. Um, but what kind? What do you do when a pitcher shakes you off, first of all? And then second, what are you watching on the batter to kind of dictate outside of the bat, the bat speed? What are you watching to dictate maybe the next pitch? Well, first, if a pitcher shakes me off, I – Either I'll, I'll he well he doesn't shake me off. I'll get up. I'll either talk to him or I'll, I'll mostly talk to him. And if he doesn't agree with the pitch, he can step off. He's not going to shake me off because I feel like that's a little dis- disrespectful. Um, and then with the batter, um, maybe his stance. If he has an open stance, that means he's like the ball in a little bit. So you watch you gotta, watch his, you watch his stance. What what else are you looking at as far as like he takes the swing? You're watching the bat head. You're watching mm-hmm. the bat speed. But is there other body parts that you're looking at to determine? Um, you know, maybe he's a little timid. Maybe he's, you know, maybe you got him. I don't know. You, you tell me. You're catching behind him. And then if you if you move his feet on a pitch, you might want to go back to that pitch because that means he's uncomfortable with that pitch. If he's off balance, you you got him where you want him. He, he as a hitter, you want to be on balance. You want to be you want to be um. You want to be right on the. You want to be right on balance. You want to, and then if you make him go back or forward or off balance or make him maybe he swings and dives at a pitch a little bit, you might want to keep it going with that. Yeah, so you got a lot going on back there, and you touched on two good points: balance. You know, you're looking at his feet. If you can move his feet, you did a good job. And then I think you're alluding the posture. Um, if you can adjust his the upper body posture. That affects the eyes. So I think that's a lot of stuff that you're looking at that there. So but that's a, that's a good point. You know, a lot of young catchers aren't calling their own games. Pro catchers aren't calling their games right now for the most part. Um, so I think it's something that's important to what you're doing because you're going to make mistakes. And as you said earlier in the show, you're not afraid of exposing weaknesses and mistakes. So if you make them, um, that's how you get better. You identify them, you make, turn them into principles, you move forward. It's part of our homeschool stuff. So um, as far as let, let's move into – basketball a little bit that's okay actually we'll go one last thing with baseball cage work when we, when, we, when you're in the cage working on your hitting um you know you got t work you got cage work what are some things that you're how do you start your hitting every day right now well starting my hitting i do t work working on that up and in pitch because when you play against older kids especially in this especially uh bigger older kids they're gonna try to see me and they're gonna try to challenge me up and in with fastballs and if I can hit that well, they're going to have to go to slower pitches away or maybe breaking pitches, and I feel like I can hit those pitches. Yeah, so when you're when you're going at the high pitch, is it the same approach as you're going at other pitches? Do you have your you know hands to the ball, bat head high, or are you dipping that bat head like we see a lot of these guys do? Uh, you never want to dip the bat head because then that's a pop-up. You want to go straight to the ball because maybe you can hit a line drive on that, or if it's a ground ball, it's a ground ball, but you want to hit the ball hard at least. Yeah. Um, now, when you're in the cage doing cage work, I think that's good. And you, and you do different T work based on whatever you're working on, whatever your focus is. Is that what you're, you're kind of getting across? Yes. Okay. So when we go, you've done another drill that I think you got from Robinson Cano, um, where you've got the the single T, the double T with a baseball, if I'm describing it right, you got a low T and then a little bit higher that's parallel to the first one. 
or sometimes a single tee with a screen up against it. Yeah. Um, what are you working on there? Well, I'm working on that inside pitch and getting the hands inside the ball on that inside pitch because you got to be able to hit the inside pitch because if you can't, they're just going to keep going there and challenging you and you're not going to be able to play at a higher level. So so now when you get into cage work where you've got the live throwing, what are, what are give examples of some of the approaches. Do you go in there and just swing the swing? Uh, what do you what do you work on? Give a couple things that we'll work on, or what, what's your what's your approach when you're in the cage? Well, I'm working on counts. So if it's like a two zero count, I'm looking for my pitch and I'm looking to drive that pitch. If it's o two, you might maybe want to drive the ball the other way. You maybe want to uh, maybe let it travel a little bit, see it more. What are you looking to see? I mean, so you mentioned two counts, two zero two. I think those are two good ones to work on because. 2-0, you're in the driver's seat. So you were looking at something you said you can drive uh, that, that one pitch, one spot. 0-2, when you're talking about it getting deeper, what kind of pitches are you expecting to see 0-2? It's uh, a strikeout pitch, obviously. Most likely breaking pitches, curveball, slider, yeah, so, those so, type of pitches. So seeing it longer helps you see the break longer? Yes. Okay. Um, you mentioned in BP you're working on stuff, you, a couple things, you know, where you're working on that up and in or that high T. And then with the Cano – drill that you, you stole you're working on keeping the hands inside the ball on that that inside pitch I think casting out is a problem with young hitters all the time um, would you say that your strength as a hitter the reason why you're working on that is because it's a weakness so your strength let's say for instance is going up the middle with it or going the other way yeah I would say that uh, I'm trying to obviously correct my weaknesses and like I said earlier in the show and I, I think up the middle is probably where I'm most uh, most effective but you got to be able to pull the ball if you want to play baseball. Yeah, they will. They will exploit that, especially those those older kids when they see a younger, smaller guy coming up there. They're going to bust your hands to test you out. Uh, so, last thing with baseball, I know I said we'd move off baseball, but uh, you, you're working stuff with middle infield right now. What are some of the things that you're working on? What are some of the concepts? I know you had a great talk with Ted Kubiak on the phone, formal former infielder with the Oakland A's, won three World Series. You guys chatted it up for like an hour and fifteen minutes one day. And uh, and even one of our co-hosts, Will George, here has you on the phone talking Yankee guys, you know, because he, he's familiar with those guys. So, what are some things that you're working on in the middle infield right now? Um, I'm working on uh, 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 feeds to second base and shortstop on double plays. Working on the kind of the, yeah, most mostly feeds to second base and what, shortstop. Give a given names of a couple of feeds you're working with, so the young kids can. So you have obviously flips and power feeds. So flips now, what's what's that? What's when are you using that? Um, most likely when your shoulder is when your shoulder is parallel to the second base bag. So you're, the, so you're right. If you're playing second yes, base. You're right, your right shoulder. shoulder okay. If you're playing shortstop, you left left shoulder. So you're when you're flipping it. What's the what's the communication? What, what's the ball look like? What, what do you you know? So obviously, is there a visual communication from the shortstop to know if you're playing second base that you're going to flip? And you said that's the shoulder. Yes. Any the any, any verbal? Any what's the what's the hands like in that? Well, you normally want to you want to keep the ball out in front. You want to make sure he sees the ball because if he doesn't see the ball, he's going to be caught off guard. Even if you if your shoulder's showing or you. How else do you how else do you communicate with him? You also want to communicate with saying flip or whatever you're the, the thing you're doing because if he thinks you're power feeding maybe he reads it wrong he hears flip yeah. he's gonna be able to react to that good deal and what's the how does the, the the ball get there what's the what's the mechanism that gets the ball there 
is it is it a hand movement is it a you know body movement what's what's your what's your focal point on once you get that body position shoulder to the ball you fielded it and you you've shown it to him and you've called flip what's your focus on how to get the ball there effectively um your feet you want to get the ball there with your feet you want to run it there basically maybe not that but run yeah run it there and then you want to get the ball there as fast as as hard as possible without obviously handcuffing your second baseman or shortstop so your 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 primary mechanism to get the ball there is your legs yes it's okay so it's, is it a is it a crossover step like with your your drag bunning uh yeah okay so no, i like that's good and with power feeds uh, what's give give, a, give the kids one tip with the power feeds when they're giving it so when you finish with your power feed, you want to almost wave high like you're, so you wave and then you kind of, you do it and then you want to finish with your hand high like you're waving high to them. So you're leaving that, that hand up there like five fingers up yeah. and the ball's coming out of what part of your hand? The, the palm. So you've got the palm, so almost like a, not a knuckleball, but it's got, you got a little bit more feel to it. Yeah. Say, okay. That's good. And now body, what, what, what visual does the, let's say you're playing second base. Uh, so it's simple. What visual will the shortstop see as opposed to they're going to see your shoulder on the flip? What visual are they going to see just to give an indicator that you're doing the power feed? Well, they, they're going to see your chest. Uh, they're going to see your, yeah, your chest. They're going to see your okay. chest. And is it the legs, the same mechanism that gets it there with that feed as well? Yeah. Okay. Now, we, I see you do some other things with reverse turns and whatnot. We'll stay off that today uh, so we don't get too deep and we're running uh, kind of long on time. Uh, so I want to shift you over to basketball right now. Also, Congratulate you with basketball. You got a watch list for the Southeastern um, travel circuit that's coming up uh, in a couple of weeks now. We start playing there. Uh, you, you, you made it last year with a couple of your teammates. 15 guys got picked in the Southeast. I think that's phenomenal. And, uh, you know, you, you work just as hard as there. Give the audience some of the things that you're working on day to day with basketball just to kind of make sure that, you know, you're running towards your goal of know playing professionally in both sports and you sh- i'm sure you shoot every day what are some things you're working on with shooting well you gotta well fo- base most of the basic stuff you gotta focus on you gotta lock your eyes in on the rim you gotta point your finger at the rim when you shoot it and you gotta finish your shot what specifically are you looking at at the rim when you shoot the little eyelets on the rim that hold the net up you yeah. want to look at the one that's like if you're standing on the free throw line, you want to look at the one in the front. So whatever one's in front of you, wherever you are on the court, how many shots do you make? And are are they game speed you're making every day? Um, are you working on footwork? Are you? I mean, it's, what, what, what's the magic number that you you minimum you've got to make every day? Well, minimum you got to make 300 clean jump shots. Uh, clean means no rim, all net. Um, you, if you can't make clean on no defense you it's gonna be tough to make shots with defense so you want to be able to so your practices are harder than than games with that so when you say clean 300 jump shots clean is there any other mindset that you're shooting with that helps you become a great shooter that you know you're making 300 clean and you know that makes it harder in the game uh you can't you can't miss two shots in a row uh you want to if you miss one, you got to come down and you got to make the other because if you miss two in a row, it becomes three and you got to. So if you, let's say you miss two in a row during your workout. Do you have a penalty with it? Uh, you got to go back to zero. Yeah. Can't miss two in a row. Okay. So let me, let me just get it straight for the audience here with you. 
300 clean means no rim. So if it doesn't, if it goes in and it hits the rim, it counts as a miss. Correct. Yes. If you do two, let's say the ball goes in twice, but it hits the rim two times, that counts as two misses. Correct. Yes. And you go back to zero. Yes. So if you're at 279 makes and you do that twice, you go back to zero and yes. you do it again. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that kind of pressure uh, to do that in practice, I mean, does anything resemble that ever in the game? Uh, not usually, no. No. Um, do you know, and, and I always joke with you, two of those basketballs fit in the rim. So how the heck hard is it not to make one, right? Yeah. yeah easier said than done, though. No, I, I appreciate that effort. What about ball handling? What, what do you do with handling and passing and, and dribbling every day? How, how long do you spend on it? What's, what's kind of a give, – give them one concept that you work on with the ball handling. Yeah, you want to get fingertips to brain is what me and my dad usually say. You got to focus that you're dribbling with your fingertips. You don't want your you want to dribble with your palm. You want it to be fingertips. You want to dribble, dribble with your fingers. Yeah, so fingertips to brain is that's that's the concept. So um so if little young guys are out there dribbling and they're deliberate with their approach and they're getting their fingertips on it every time. What about wrist action? I see a lot on YouTube. You know I hate YouTube and all that stuff where guys are pounding the ball, pounding the ball. What's your thoughts on pounding the basketball? Are you a pounder or are you someone that likes wrist flexion a little bit more? Uh, maybe a little more wrist flexion. You want to you want it to you want to be under control. You don't want to pound the ball as hard as you can cuz then the ball the higher the ball goes, the easier it is for them to steal. And maybe certain situations it's okay to dribble the ball a little harder, but you don't want to get that ball really high because then they're going to steal it. It's not it's way easier to steal a ball. So when, when, now I don't mean to throw this ad lib at you, but so when defenses are trying to steal the ball, are they trying to steal it as the ball's traveling down from your hand or as it hits the floor and travels up? On the way up, you want to steal on the way up because that, that's any, that's anyone's ball at that point. What, so do you do anything as a dribbler to maybe minimize that for the defense? Well, you want to get lower when you dribble the ball because that's less opportunity for them to steal the basketball. The whole time or when you, you release when you when you release. Okay, so you're saying you, you get for young kids out there when you dribble. What's a phrase that you would use? Drop your body. Uh, yeah, dribble, drop your body. Okay, so I like that. So it's good tips for these young guys out there. So little, little uh, you know, we, we talked a lot of sports here, just so the audience understands. <laughs> you're doing school. You're doing heavy, heavy languages, heavy analytics, uh, which is good. All geared toward one audacious goal. Uh, what What are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading the book that uh, Ted Kubiak sent me uh, about Rocky Calavino. Okay, and which one? Which book did you just finish? I just finished Mickey Mantle, a book about Mickey Mantle and how he values courage as a ability to play in the major leagues. Cool. And did you? What were, do you remember? What you read prior to that? Um, a Pistol Pete book about how his life and how he kind of fell out of love with basketball and then came back. Uh, came back to uh, kind of a human being after he found his purpose in life. Okay, so it's good, and, and uh, you're learning things from those guys. Those are guys of obviously that are have accomplished what you want to accomplish. And uh, you know, in, in your lifetime, which is not very long, greatest two sport athlete in your lifetime? Uh, probably Bo Jackson. Uh, he's probably been the greatest two sport athlete. I don't know if he was an all star in baseball. I think he was. He though. was. Um, he was obviously one of the best running backs of all time. If he didn't get hurt, um, and he was one of the he was a really good baseball player. Obviously, all star. Phenomenal athlete. We got a chance to meet him in, in Auburn, and 
take part in his Bow Bikes Bama. So kind of in closing here now, we, we've talked a lot of sports, obviously. It's a sports show, but we've talked a little bit of homeschool with what you're studying. Are you doing anything else outside of sports, outside of reading, other things that help you grow, not just as a as a, an athlete, but as a person, things that you like that you feel contribute to your, to your I guess, your being? Um, I play the piano. I play musical instruments because uh, – guitar as well because most of that is fingers and you want to obviously i mentioned basketball with fingers um you have to have good fingers to be able to quick fingers as well to be able to adjust when defenses are what, what songs were you playing today with the piano uh, i was playing walking in memphis oh the mark mark cone song walking in memphis i should have had you play that for the intro here that would have been appropriate um as well and then uh what else anything else that you're doing that, that, you know, is part of, I guess, homeschool or life with three siblings? Uh, I play chess as well. Sometimes I play two people at once, get the brain going. It's, yeah, it's a good strategy game and it's a good way to play. It's a good game to play with. Uh, oh, also as well as drawing because that's also working the brain in a way. Well, good. So a little, little bit of music, a little bit of drawing and, and, um, you know, I like the books that you're reading as well. So I, I saw you out there yesterday uh, doing some jump rope, uh, old school, old fashioned way of working out. Um, why, why jump rope? Uh, well, it gets your obviously get your feet quicker. You get quicker uh, feet movement with basketball, and you also get faster. That, and you also, uh, yeah, you get faster with it. Omar Briskell did that a lot, actually. Yeah, I think I think it's a great exercise. You can do it in a short period of time, inexpensive equipment. You can get jump rope for five bucks. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's good for, it's, it's challenging, right? Yes, it is. But I see you're doing some Rocky moves out there, which I love. Um, thought it was fun. And, and all three of your, your other siblings are doing the same thing. So now I did see this the other day and I want to do this in closing. I saw you guys doing jump rope for two minutes. And then I saw you down and sit down and play speed chess. For two minutes, then jump rope for two. Minutes. I think you were playing your two sisters, and it's not part of your normal curriculum. Um, was that something to do with decision making, heart rate? I mean, what what the heck were you guys doing out there? Yeah, it has to do with decision making. Obviously, you gotta be able to. It also works your mind. You go from doing something really fast and doing something really fast with your body. Now your heart rate, you're breathing heavy, and then you gotta go make a decision with. Your brain, you got to make it the smart decision, almost like basketball on the court. You're tired and late, late in the game. You got to make a smart decision to read the defense. Well, I, I like that. And I'll get a chance to read through that stuff at the end of the week because you guys do document all this stuff for me that you you create. Um, any predictions today? I didn't ask you that in the beginning. And is anything we forgot? I mean, I think you did a great job today. I was really concerned because I know some of our conversations are, like I said in the beginning, it's like deposing a hostile witness. I get the yes, no. and you, uh, you answer only what you're asked. So I thought you did a really good job today, and I appreciate you doing this for us. I think a lot of kids will get out of it. But congratulations on the two honors, first of all. You earned that. Uh, you do that all by yourself, and um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to coach in some things. So I won't ask you who your favorite coach is because I, I, don't, I don't know who you'll say. So I don't want that to be on the air on the record if it's not, uh, if it's not me. I don't know if my heart could take that with it. So um, with, you know, with, with the audience here, any predictions on games? Say, I know we'll be watching the Yankee game at 1 o'clock. I know your, your siblings are waiting for you to get out there and do dribbling. So what is uh, – any predictions today? 
Um, I think Volpe will do well today. I think he'll come out of the gates fast. He's trying to earn. Obviously, he already won the job, but you're never safe. And he's batting ninth. He wants to move up in that lineup. I think he'll come out firing. I think also as Waldo Cabrera wants to move up in the lineup a little bit. He doesn't want to. I mean, there are talks about replacing him with guys like uh, uh, Masataka Yoshida, and there's still talks about replacing him with Brian Reynolds. So he wants to come out, and I think he'll want to do well. So I think they'll both do well today. I think I don't. I think Judge will have a normal. I think he'll hit one for three, two for four, um, and I, I think the Yankees will win that one today against the Giants. Yeah, Garrett Cole coming out of the, out of the gate strong. I like Logan Webb too. I think he's a, he's a going to be a good number one. For San Francisco, and then I, I didn't have favorite. Who's your all-time favorite players? You mentioned Judge and Kyrie. Do you have historic guys that you like in basketball and baseball? Well, in baseball, my favorite player is Mickey Mantle. Uh, maybe an unpopular opinion, but I think he's the greatest baseball player of all time. With the obviously the most switch hitters of any, most home runs of any switch hitter of all time. Uh, he didn't hit three hundred, but he hit two ninety-eight, so close enough. Um, and with basketball, I like Larry Bird. I think he's underappreciated when it comes to uh, all-time debates. I think he was one of the greatest three-point shooters ever, one of the greatest passers ever, one of the greatest rebounders ever, and he was a great defender. There's not really anything he couldn't do. So, well, Bird, anything with the pistol? Uh, yeah, I think the pistol's also underrated. I think Pistol Pete, uh, he's one of the, he probably would be, he honestly would have the scoring record if they had a three-point line, probably. Well, he has it for college in only three years, and a young man almost broke it this year, um, but didn't get the the game six points shy. So, secretly, hey, the kid had a great career, but you know you gotta you gotta admire what Pistol Pete did during three years with no three point line in there. Your sister just came in and pointed to your bats, and she put her finger, and I didn't know what she was saying, but I do now. You have four, two, five, seven on all of your bats. What does that signify? Uh, well, the hit record is four thousand two hundred fifty six, and I want to get. 4,257 or maybe more than that. And I want to break the all-time hit record when it comes to so baseball. Base hits. That's a lofty goal, my friend. And you put that on the air right here. I set you up a little bit on that one. But there's no doubt with working with you each day that, that you're if you if you're going to do everything you can to get close to that. So, buddy, I appreciate you coming on. Tanner D'Agostino, obviously my son. You hear me talk about him on the show sometimes. We're doing a little spotlight on. We'll do that throughout the year sometimes when we have a lull in the action. We're taking the day off with, with the opening day today. But Tanner, thanks so much for coming on today, buddy. I appreciate it. You did great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciated being on the show. Okay. Now now go explain to your brothers and sisters why you're an hour late for dribbling right now. Dad had you on the podcast here. But uh, to our audience, 14,700 subscribers, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, you can find us on. Continue to download, listen, like, and subscribe to our show. We'll continue to bring you great content. Give me feedback on this episode. Uh, let me know how you like the spotlight we did on a, on a young athlete or a college athlete or a pro athlete. And uh, we'll continue to give you great content every week. Uh, continue to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow my friend Kevin Kern and please on Ball 9. He does a tremendous job two days a week. Great article out today with Michael K and A-Rod, their new show, K-Rod, that's coming out on the podcast. So Kevin's got all sorts of access and nobody better. Um, nobody better ever. Uh, support our other guys on the show, A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Uh, Mark Wiley, Will George, tremendous job. Man on second with Joe Frazero. You got She Gone with our friend Jeff Fry. And you got Cott's Corner with Hall of Fame pitcher Jim Cott. And, of course, my buddy Sal Marinello, the hot corner with Coach Sal. We will be expanding and adding some, some new shows 
uh, potentially in the next couple of weeks. And we will be getting back to our roundtable where the guys sit around and we're going to expand our topics to beyond baseball and talk a little bit about life here. You'll be you'll have to tune in for that. So but this is Dave D'Agostino, Real Voice of the Game Pot Productions. And this is just a spotlight today on a young athlete right here, Tanner D'Agostino, episode 151. Thank you.